Amen. We're going to read from God's Word this morning. We're reading from 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. I'm reading from chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 12. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 1 down to verse 12. And if you've got your Bible with you this morning at home, um, I'd encourage you just to keep it open as we are, we're journeying through this. I'll be referring to some of the, the verses around it as well. Um, but if you don't, the words are going to appear on the screen before you, which is great as well. So let's read God's Word together. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, and as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Amen. There is so much, not just in First Peter, but even in our passage this morning. And there's loads that you might want me to touch on and, uh, and kind of expand on this morning, but we're probably not going to have time to cover every, every word that First Peter says in the verses that we've read. But we're going to look this morning at our passage, and in doing so, our, our sermon title is God's People Live in God's Ways. Let that be something that you hold on to as we journey through our sermon this morning. The first word in the first verse of our chapter this morning is very important, so, or in some translations it says, therefore. And whenever we see that, it's important that we note that word because what is about to be said in chapter 2 is as a result of what has just been said in chapter 1. And it's important that we know what comes just before it to help set the context of what Peter goes on to say in these words. So whatever you see the word so or therefore, it's important that you go back a wee bit to try and understand the context of the verses that you are reading. Context is always really important when we're reading scripture. 
So what has just been said? Well, a very, very simple overview. The, the, the verses preceding it from verse 13 down to verse 25 of chapter 1 is this, we could really call it like a call to holiness on God's people. Peter is reminding them of the importance of what it is to be holy before the Lord. And he quotes a verse from the Old Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy. But I think if we look at verse 23 in chapter 1, if you've got your Bible there, that's great. If not, I'll read it for you. This is what it says. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Since you have been born again. That is such an important part of the verses that have just come before. And actually, it sets a context for moving onwards. Because in our verses here in chapter 2, Peter is addressing brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who walk with the Lord. Those who know the Lord and who would call the Lord their Savior. You've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Or the living and enduring Word of God. This word that we preach from, this word that we read, the word that we call Scripture, the Bible, is living. It is God-breathed. It endures. And Peter even says himself in verse 25, it remains forever. The Word of the Lord remains forever. This book that we call the Bible, that we spend time to gather around, not just on a Sunday, but every day, if it isn't enduring, if it isn't living, if it doesn't remain forever, how can we trust what it says if it's chopping and changing what it means depending on the context it has been read in? Context doesn't dictate Scripture. Culture doesn't dictate how we interpret Scripture. But Scripture shows us how God's people are meant to live, and that is in God's ways. And Peter furthers this, as I said, he says, the word of the Lord remains forever. And he says, this word is the good news that has been preached to you. So what he is saying here is because you have been born again under the preaching of God's word, which lasts forever and is always truth, put away all malice. Because you have been born again under the preaching of God's word, this word that is living and active and abiding forever. Therefore, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Being a follower of Jesus, being born again, becoming a new creation, impacts our lives. Not just that we get to go to heaven. But because you have been born again, put away all these evil attitudes, these sins and actions. Why does Peter start like this in chapter 2? These evils that he mentions here, these evils in particular, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, they tear at the fabric of community and love that is meant to be found within the bride of Christ. Again, in just in a couple of verses preceding it, he says in, in verse 22, having been purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. He's been speaking about brotherly love and the importance of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And because you've been born again under the preaching of God's word, put away all these evil attitudes and actions. See, friends, the mark of the believer is one that is love. So Paul says the greatest of these is love. And 
Peter later on, he, in his letter, he talks about how the church, how followers of Jesus should interact and engage and relate to those in the world. But right now, it is important that we know that he's speaking to the bride of Christ. He's speaking to those who follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, yes, you're saved as an individual, but you're saved into a community of, and the believer of saints. And actually, because you are a follower of Jesus, how you engage with those around you who are also followers of Jesus is important. Put away these evil attitudes and actions of malice and deceit and so on. Like I said, these sins listed here, they tear apart this sincere brotherly love that Peter encourages the followers of Jesus to achieve and strive for. And these sins should not be tolerated. They should be completely rejected. Get rid of them is what he's saying. Put away. Don't just put them somewhere and, and, and maybe one or two of you can get off with it if you do it in secret. That's not what he's saying. Put them away. Get rid of them. Get them out of the fellowship of believers. Deceit or hypocrisy would mean that we would be disingenuous amongst each other, which means that the trust we need for love to be present would disappear. And we know how damaging envy is in the church. We should want the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be looking to spur them on, encourage them on, cheer them on. Rather than looking to tear people down, don't be envious of them, but look to see them, pray for them. Look to see them do well in their life. And we know that when we're envious, it doesn't just stay as a feeling inside us, but often it festers away and actually begins to affect how we speak and communicate with one another. How did they get to do that? How, how in the world did he get to that position? How did she get to do that thing in the church? That comes from a, a position and a heart of being envious. And it makes us begin to speak slander. And God's people are meant to speak life-giving words. God's people are meant to speak life-giving words, words of encouragement, not words, words of slander. Where, as love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, says this, love is patient, it is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Can you see how Peter here, how he's putting it across? Basically what he's saying is, is let love be present. Let love be present. So put away these things. He says in verse 1. And in verse 2, let me say this. In the Greek, in verse 2, there's no new sentence that we, like we have in the English. The full stop at the end of verse 1 kind of makes it feel like it's, it's stopped its flow. But in the, in the original language, this would flow together. Put away all malice and so on like newborn babies, infants long for the pure spiritual milk. It flows together. So this isn't two separate actions. This is actually coming from the same heart, the same action. Put them away and long for spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk. 
Friends, we cannot grow in Christ if we're holding on to the old ways. That's why Peter begins by saying, put away these things. Maybe some of these were present within the, the, the people he was writing to. But put them away, he says, and long for pure spiritual milk. Get rid of that and long for this. That is what he's saying. Because you can't do both at the same time. You can't be speaking slander and being envious and being deceitful and hypocritical and long for pure spiritual milk. You can't do those two things at the same time. And Peter isn't saying that the readers were immature Christians or that they were new converts. Some we would, um, we would be able to deduce from the, the, the letter would have been Christians for about 30 years at this point. It only says that they should long for spiritual milk. Like newborn babies long for milk. Don't get confused with another metaphor or analogy that is used elsewhere like Corinthians, I think, and Colossians, where it contrasts milk with solid food. In that instance, what, what, what has been said to the, to, in that instance is that actually you need to move on in your spiritual journey. But here, that isn't the metaphor that Peter is using. He's speaking to those who have been a Christian for one moment and, a, and people who have been Christians for a hundred years. That each of us should be longing for pure spiritual milk. Like newborn babies long for milk. If anyone has ever been around a newborn baby and that baby's hungry, you know that baby is hungry. It'll wake you up in the middle of the night. It does not care what time of day it is, where you are or what is going on. If it has a craving for milk, you and everyone around you will know that that baby wants milk. How amazing would it be if the hunger that we had for God's word was the same as that hunger as those newborn infants have for milk. Such was their desire for God's word that, you know, she's had to pick up the phone in the middle of the night and, and phone someone and ask them. You know, I've got this burning sensation within me. I just need to know something more about Jesus. Imagine if that was the level and depth of hunger that we got to in Sandy Hills. This is talking about spiritual nourishment. Long for it Peter is saying, long for spiritual nourishment. Absolutely, as followers of Jesus, we're to grow in our walk with Jesus. Absolutely, we want to move on and we don't want to stay as infants in Christ forever. But this analogy here is saying that he's speaking about the desire that God's people have to be reading God's word and found in God's presence and growing in their faith. And they're to long for it. They're to eagerly desire it. This makes me think of, oh, I think it's in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what is it we should be longing for? Pure spiritual milk. And this is flowing on from this imperishable seed. This living and abiding word of God that remains forever. Long for pure spiritual nourishment. Nourishment that is without imperfection. Don't dilute it. Don't look to take away from it. Because it's part of it is challenging you or challenging our culture. We read the word of God as it is. 
the pure spiritual milk. That is what we crave for. And that is what we want our land to be longing for. Because God's word is living and abiding. And see, friends, as Christians, you know, Christian books, they are good. And and Christian podcasts are good. And Christian uh, worship songs are good. and, And having a chat with somebody is good. But do not let these things replace or take over the centrality of God's word in your life. You yourself, that you need to feed yourself. I would say as Christians in Scotland, we become so dependent upon being spoon-fed God's Word. Actually get into the Word of God yourself. Yes, if you've got questions, write them down and ask someone who's further on in the faith. But learn to read this book. Learn to love it. Learn to, to be found in it every single day. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as Peter says, this helps us to grow up into our salvation. And this is just just another way of saying growing in maturity as a Christian. You want to grow as a Christian, throw out more of yourself and allow more of God's word to take root in your life. Christ must increase and I must decrease. Friends, Jesus doesn't want to just be your saviour. He came to be your Lord as well. Which means we bend the knee to him and submit to his ways, which are life-giving. Because God's word is a living word. And then Peter uses this very deliberate phrase, come to him. In verse 4, a living stone rejected. Come as you come to him. This is in the present tense. This is a continuing action. We said last week that being a Christian isn't in a static relationship, but it is something that we journey in. We grow in. We grow in our love and our knowledge and our walk with the Lord as you come to him. And this phrase, it's very deliberate that Peter uses it. Again, it's We'll be touching on this in a moment, but it's kind of found within the Old Testament. It's in a kind of Old Testament imagery. It's found in the Psalms, and, and, and it would kind of depict coming to God into his presence or, or to hear him speak or coming to worship him. That is what this phrase is. As you come to him, as you enter into his presence. And Peter says who it is that we draw near to. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We know who this living stone is. Peter will go on in a few moments in verse 6 to expand upon this. But we know who this living stone is. And who Peter says it is, who we draw near to is Jesus himself. The one who was the living stone, who was rejected, but was chosen by God, and he who is precious. Friends, let us continually be coming into God's presence, continually coming close to Jesus every day, not just a Sunday, but every day. Let it become part of the rhythm of our life, that every day we begin by reading God's word, by praying to him, by worshiping him, by spending time in his presence. So Peter is placing the emphasis on here. 
to becoming close and drawing close to God himself. We're not in a static relationship, but we're in a living relationship with a living Savior. And we stand under a living and stand upon a living and abiding word. And verse 5 says, as we draw close to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow. We could spend the whole Sunday just going over that one verse. As we draw close to Jesus, we ourselves are being built up. This is the same kind of thing about growing in Christian maturity, growing up into salvation. It's like the process of sanctification. If you are exactly as the same now as when you were when you were saved, there is something wrong. The more time we spend like Jesus, the more we become like him. Remember last week we, we, we read about how we've been chosen and we're being conformed into the image of God's Son, made into the likeness of Jesus. That is what the, the, this is the practical outworking of verse 5, that as we draw close to the, the living stone, we ourselves like living stones are being built up. Jesus said in the Gospels, knock this temple down and three days later I will rebuild it. And they thought he was talking about the physical, actual building material temple. And it wasn't until after his death and resurrection that his followers realized that he was speaking about himself. He was speaking about his body. And see, friends, here's the amazing thing. We are now Christ's ambassadors, Christ's representation, the body of Christ here on earth. We are the bride of Christ. We are Christ's church. And we are the temple of the living God. When Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, he is not just speaking about numerical additions, about more members, more people becoming members within his church. Yes, within that there is, this, there is the thought and the thinking of numeracy, about more people becoming followers of Jesus. But can I put it to you that also is speaking about you being built up as the church here on earth. Because that's what we see here. As we draw close to Jesus, like living stones, we are being built up as a spiritual house. So Christ's church has not just been built numerically across the earth, but it's growing in reputation. It's growing in how we conduct ourselves as the already followers of Jesus here in this world. That as we draw close to him and we are conformed into his likeness as his church, as his bride, we are becoming more like our Savior. And as you grow in your hunger for the word of God, you will grow in your likeness of the Savior who is the word made flesh. Just like the one who we love is the living stone who was rejected. We too are like living stones being made into a spiritual house. And what is the purpose of this? We're going to very briefly touch on it here because we're going to touch on it as well in verse 9. 
to offer spiritual sacrifices as a royal priesthood, as a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. This is straight out of the Old Testament. One of the things, if you, if you read First Peter, you will see there is so much Old Testament, not just quotations, but also imagery and phrases that we see that Peter uses within his letter. And he goes on in a moment to quote three Old Testament verses to um, strengthen his argument that he is putting across. This is straight out of the Old Testament. If you have been told or you are the, under the, 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 the illusion that the Old Testament isn't as important anymore, then you have been severely misled. The Old Testament tells us why Jesus came. It tells us how he was going to come. And it tells us even what he was going to do. And then we see it come to fruition in the Gospels. And then we see the impact of that in the New Testament with the early church. And Peter here, he highlights Old Testament imagery. And this phrase about being a royal priesthood and, and, and offering spiritual sacrifices, it, it kind of comes from Exodus chapter 19. But I think a really helpful way of understanding it from the New Testament is Romans 12. Therefore, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is the same kind of thinking that Peter is getting at here. That as followers of Jesus... We are set apart to glorify God. And it's not Old Testament um, uh, sacrifices that we offer anymore. We don't offer animal sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament, but spiritual ones. That we ourselves are to be presented as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing. And the call here is to live as God's people in God's ways. Ways that are acceptable to him. And how do we know what's acceptable to him? We read his word. His word that remains forever. And all we do needs to be done through Jesus Christ. See friends, he is the door, he is the gate, he is the way, the truth, and the life. We can't get to the Father but by him. And like I said, Peter goes on and he quotes three Old Testament verses here in verses 6, 7, and 8. And we see just the importance of the Old Testament verses in Peter's argument and in his thinking. First, he speaks of this cornerstone, this stone that was rejected. This, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We know that this is Jesus, the cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected. And laying a stone in Zion, I, 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 we just see so much overlap in Scripture. I, I love it. And again, this just makes me think of what we thought about over the last two weeks from Romans 8, of how, how Jesus was the firstborn among many. That Jesus was the cornerstone. That he was the stone that was laid down first. So that we as his followers in this world could be built into a spiritual house like living stones. If the cornerstone wasn't placed, we would have no hope. 
If the firstborn wasn't Jesus, we would have no hope. Without the cornerstone, we would never have been built into the spiritual house of the Lord. And then he, he goes on in verse 7, and he, he speaks about this Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we know that Jesus was despised and rejected. We read in the New Testament that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, uh, male nor female, uh, slave nor free. But friends, there are two groups of people in this life. There are those that are saved and those that aren't. And we see that in Peter's thoughts here in God's word this morning. Those who believe in him will never be put to shame. But there are those that reject the cornerstone who is Jesus. And Peter goes on thoroughly to say what happens and why they do it. The stone of stumbling. The cornerstone. See friends, the, the rock that Psalm 40 speaks of. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from the fearful pit and from the miry clay. And on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. And that rock we stand upon is the cornerstone that was laid in Zion, Jesus Christ himself. And he is the cornerstone, that everlasting rock that we stand upon. But friends, he is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to others. Those that have rejected and despised him, they stumble over him and he is an offense to them. And to those of us who believe in Jesus, we see him as precious, we see him as beautiful. But those who reject him, they stumble over him and they're offended at who he is and his words. That's what we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels. For the Pharisees, they were appalled at what Jesus said. Because they didn't believe in his word. The word made flesh. And friends, I hope like Jeremiah says that you have the same testimony. Your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Because we will never be put to shame when we believe in Jesus. We don't stumble over him. He becomes a solid foundation for us. But those that disobey his word, they stumble and he is a rock of offense. That is them. They stumble. They reject. They being those of the world, those that reject Jesus outside of Christ. Then Peter turns his attention again onto God's people. But you, he says in verse 9. But you. And the, the, the but you he speaks of are those in verse 6. Those that believe in the cornerstone who is Jesus. But you. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. We thought about this chosen race last week, about how we're chosen and predestined from Romans 8. We're not going to go into it too much this morning, but let me say this very briefly as time marches on. Being part of God's chosen people in the Old Testament was through being a descendant of Abraham. That was the Jews. But now in the new covenant, it is by believing in Christ 
Christ came first for the Jews and then the Gentiles. That's what we see in, 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 the, in the epistles and after the Gospels. We just see this, this explosion of the Gospel being preached to those that are outside of God's chosen people, the Jews. And we read that we're engrafted in as Gentiles into God's family. And it's by believing in Christ, which was always the plan, let me say. It has always been faith that saves. So we read in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Rahab. But now there is no longer Jew or Gentile, only children of God through faith in Christ's atoning work. And Peter then continues this thought about being a royal priesthood that we spoke about in verse 5. And a holy nation. And he draws on, again, on uh, Exodus 19 about Israel's priesthood who were meant to mirror the glory of God to those around them. They would come and offer sacrifices. They would come and stand in the gap for God's people. That is a calling for the bride of Christ. We are meant to mirror the glory and the image of God. This is not about geographical boundaries, but this is about spiritual allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. If you are in Christ, God's word isn't a stumbling block for you, but it is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Why? Because you've been chosen. You've been made into a royal priesthood. You've been set apart as a holy people. But also because you've been chosen to be God's own possession. You are a new creation in Christ. God has chosen you to be his own possession for his glory. How amazing is that? Why have you been chosen? Why has he made us into a royal priesthood and a holy nation? The second part of verse 9 tells us that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This just reminds me of the first catechism. Man's chief end is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As the bride of Christ, our purpose is to bring glory to God and to enjoy his goodness and his benefits. As followers of Jesus, we've been chosen and set apart to display Christ's likeness. We're meant to be salt and light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he said, you are the light of the world. You're meant to shine the light of Christ wherever you go. Because you've been, you're holy and you've been set apart. You're a royal priesthood. Everything you do is meant to be offered to God as a spiritual sacrifice. So as God's people, friends, let us live in God's ways, which we find in his word that is living and abiding. It endures and remains forever. We no longer live in our own ways. But we live as God's own possession. It's pretty clear how important an emphasis Peter has put on God's word throughout our verses this morning, isn't it? It's what saved us. It's what we should desire because it nourishes us and grows us in the faith. And when we obey it and follow it, we walk in paths of righteousness 
that cause our paths to be straight and we do not stumble like those that disobey the Word of God. Friends, this land used to be known as the land of the book. That's what Scotland was known for. The land of the book. We were known for sending missionaries all across the world, preaching the gospel wherever we went. And now, by statistics, we would be classified as an unreached people group. Such has been the decline in church. I think there's two main reasons for that. Prayer has declined, and the importance of prayer. Prayer meetings are often the, the worst attended meetings in church. Secondly, because the centrality of God's word has been pushed to the side. And our own emotions and feelings dictate how we live our lives. Let that not be the case here, friends. Let God find a remnant in Sandy Hills. There is an assault against God's word in our land. And we need to waken up. We need to waken up. We've been in a slumber for far too long. We need to waken up and stand upon God's word, regardless of what people say about us. So we thought last week that, that, that we, if we want to enjoy the glory with Christ, we have to be prepared to endure suffering in this life. But the glory that awaits far outweighs any suffering that we may endure. And just in closing, as it says in verse 9, we were once in darkness, but not anymore, because mercy has called us into light. And we do not let darkness guide how we read God's word, but we let the word of God tell us how we deal with darkness. And as Peter started in verse 1 of chapter 2, it might tell us there are sins that we need to get rid of and see cast out from among us. You know your heart before the Lord. And Peter goes on in verses 11 and 12, and he goes back to the importance of walking in holiness before the Lord and living in accordance with God's word. But the second part of verse 9 talks about declaring his excellencies or, or praising him. He who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We want to find life. It isn't found outside in the world. It is found in God and his word. Friends, as the bride of Christ, we stand upon God's word, which endures and does not change, regardless of what the world says. We have been chosen as God's people. We've been set apart as God's people to live in God's ways, to bring him glory and him alone, to live as his possession and him alone. Let us grow in our love for each other. Let us grow in our love for God's word. And as Peter says in chapter 1, verse 16, it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. Amen.